Okay, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are in a series called Church Health Matters. Church Health Matters. We've been looking at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, and he has a number of issues to address within this church. And in Acts chapter 18, we get a glimpse of Paul preaching in Corinth and many Corinthians came to faith, come to believe in Jesus, came to follow Jesus. And Paul spent about 18 months with them. And then Paul got word and he heard about a number of issues that were occurring within the church that he felt that he needed to address as, as their spiritual leaders. And so we're, we're calling this church health matters, not because the, the Corinthian church modeled church health that we want to emulate, but rather be, because the apostle Paul uh, spoke to a number of issues that, that are connected with what it means to be a, a healthy church. And from the very beginning of this church plant, when we started about six years ago, June of 2016, well, actually January of 2016, the team that was gathering from City Church International to plant over here, uh, we started focusing on what a healthy church looks like. We spent time, we, weeks gathering together, and we, we studied what does it look like to be a healthy church. And so that's been our aim, to be a healthy church that is marked by love, a healthy church that is marked by the gospel a healthy church that is marked by service and marked by humility and marked by unity and, and, and the list goes on and on. And so last week we, we talked about a perspective that unites, a, perspe- a perspective that unites. One of the major issues that the Apostle Paul was addressing within the Corinthian church was this issue of division. There were quarrels, there were fights. There was jealousy, there was tension going on within the body of Christ, and it was inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was inconsistent with how Jesus taught his followers to live with one another, namely in love. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. By all this, men will know that you are my disciples if you, ha- if you love one another. And the Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 to uh, define and describe what biblical love is and how the Corinthian church was to model that within the church. And so we we looked at uh, last week a perspective that unifies. And this week we're going to talk about combating pride. Because a reoccurring theme throughout this letter is this issue of boasting, arrogance, and pride. Now, how many of you have ever worked with somebody who thought too highly of themselves? You were in relationship with somebody who thought too highly of themselves, and there was tension in the relationships. Now, some of you may have a hard time thinking of somebody. Some of you may be thinking of a lot of people, and they might be thinking of you. But the, the reality is, is that pride is subtle and it's permeated and affected each one of us. And I say that pride divides. Pride divides, all right? The center letter in the word pride is, is I, right? It's all about me, my I. And the apostle Paul came preaching Jesus, Christ crucified and the cross of jesus christ confronts and combats pride within our lives and strips us of our pride and 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 causes us to be humble before god in desperate need of his grace and the apostle paul spent time in this chapter and throughout this book He's combating pride, but specifically in this chapter, we see a perspective. We see how Paul addresses the issue of pride within the Corinthians, okay? The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
Okay. Now, of course, that's that's something that we face when we're engaging unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even believers have a tendency to be influenced by lofty opinions, by proud arguments. And this was the case with the Corinthians. They had been influenced by the Corinthian culture, which was which was one that was sinful full of pride and arrogance and lust and worldliness. And the Apostle Paul was trying to teach them a better way. He was trying to tear down the proud arguments that had formed in their minds and in their hearts. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. We read this last week, but we didn't spend much time on it. So I'm going to uh, uh, go again at this, this section, and then we'll look at chapter 4. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Chapter 4. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing, that I should be judged by you for any or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, and that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received, if then you received it, why do you boast? As if you did not receive it. So here's our big idea this morning. God calls his people to humility. And to combat pride with the gospel of grace. God calls his people to humility and to combat pride with the gospel of grace. Now we all know that we're supposed to be humble, right? We all know that the Bible teaches us to have the mind of Christ. To be humble like Jesus um, but when we're in the heat of the moment and it's, it's our child who crosses us or we're driving in traffic it's, and it's that person who cuts us off and we're running behind and we're running late for work. There, there's this tendency to, to rise up in pride and to take action, right? And so the Bible calls us to put pride to death within us, to deal ruthlessly with it. And the Apostle Paul gives us some arguments, some reasons, some ways to do that. And the very first thing that he points out with to the Corinthian church in verse uh, 23 is he pointed out, he pointed to their inheritance that they had in Christ and their belonging to Christ. He says, let no one boast in men. See, this was the problem. There was boasting in men, leaders that were preferring one leader over another. And there was comparison and there was boasting and there was division around these leaders. And there was pride connected with I'm of so-and-so. That's who I'm of. As, as if that, that person, that leader is superior and the other one is inferior. So there's comparison, there's boasting, there's pride, there's division. And Paul demolishes this argument. He demolishes this thinking. He tears down these lofty thoughts, proud thoughts that, that separate those within the body of Christ. And this is how he does it. He points to the reality that Christians, that to Christians, 
that, that all things are yours. All things are yours. You have an inheritance. It's as if Paul is saying, don't limit yourself to just this one teacher as if that's all you got. You see, when, when we as Christians start thinking like orphans, and we, and we start trying to grab our little piece of the pie in this world rather than recognizing that our God, our, is God is our Father and He owns it all and He's given us everything. And if He didn't withhold Jesus on our behalf, Romans 8.32, how will He not freely give us all things? He's given us the greatest gift of His Son to die for our sins. And so he says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You see, these are, these are leaders, these are servants that God has given to the body of Christ to build up, to encourage, to equip, to strengthen the body of Christ. And they belong to the body of Christ. They're family. We are family and we belong to one another. Okay? And so Paul tears down this divisive thinking. It says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ. You belong to Christ. Now, he, he says this more than once in this, in this letter. And the Corinthians needed to be reminded of that because pride says, I am my own and I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want with my lips. I can do whatever I want with my body, with my money, with my life, with my decisions. But Paul says, no, you're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You belong to him. And so Paul confronts pride pointing by pointing to the inheritance that Christians have that's in Christ. We have this in Christ and we are in Christ because of what he's done for us. Chapter one tells us because of him, you are in Christ who became for us wisdom, redemption, sanctification and righteousness. Jesus is the source of all this for us. It's because of him we have a great inheritance. We have a great future eternally. Secondly, Paul reminded or he remembered his role as in the, his role in the requirements as a servant and a steward. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week in chapter three, where Paul says, uh, Paul, Apollos, uh, consider us, we're servants. One waters, one plants, but God's the one who gives the growth. God is the source of growth. God is the source of life. And, and we're just servants through whom you believe. We're just the Amazon delivery folks. We're not the goods. We're just delivering the goods to you. The goods are coming through us. Okay? And, and, and Paul says, we're just the servants. We're just the messengers. It's God who saves. It's God who causes growth. It's God who changes lives. It's God who gives us an inheritance. In verse, verse one, chapter four, verse one, he says, this is how we should re, how one should regard us as servants of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. So servants and stewards, we are servants and stewards, Paul says and this is for every christian really every christian is called to be a servant and every christian is called to steward their lives and steward their opportunities and steward the insights that they have but he's specifically referring to ministers we're we're just servants of christ paul paulos cephas and we got to give an account for what we've been entrusted with and it's a lot it's big the mysteries of god and the one whom we serve, Christ, he has all authority. And we got to give an account to him. We're going to see him. He talked about this in chapter 3, that we're going we're gonna to stand before the judgment and our works are going to be rewarded. Or some will suffer loss based on the motives of what they did, how they built and why they built, what they built. Wood, hay, and stubble. 
or gold, silver, and precious stones. As I said last week, that when, we, when we're motivated by love and we're energized by grace, and we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're centering on the person of Jesus Christ. We're operating according to the wisdom of God rather than worldly wisdom. Our work is going to survive the fire of God's testing. It's going to be pure. It's going to be silver, gold, and precious stones. And so we want to be careful how we build. And we want to remember that, that we are servants and we are stewards. Okay. This is the mindset. This is, this is how we should see ministers and those who lead within the church. Okay. Instead of taking a towel and, and saying, Hey, serve me, taking a towel and getting down and washing feet like Jesus did. Jesus modeled what service looks like. Jesus modeled what good stewardship looks like. So this was, this was common. This, this term steward, the Greek word was a manager of a household. This was common in the first century. There was responsibility placed upon this person. Even going back to ancient Egypt, we see, uh, Joseph was a manager in Potiphar's house, right? He was a steward. He was entrusted with authority and, and he had to make responsible decisions. And God has given ministers the, the stewardship of these mysteries of the gospel of Jesus Christ, these spiritual truths that are to be shared, that are revealed in Jesus Christ, that are to be made known to the church and through the church. And so it should humble those who have been entrusted with much. It should humble us to know that we will give an account. As Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is Required. So instead of getting prideful and boastful about having much, whether, whether we have revelation from God or we have spiritual gifts or we've had experiences with God that are profound and deep and life changing, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We are servants of Christ. And just because we know something, it doesn't equate us actually doing what we know, living out what we know. See, oftentimes I, I, I think we can, because we learn some truths and we, and maybe we can say some truths. Maybe we can say some truths well. Sometimes we can feel like because we know a truth and because we can articulate a truth and teach a truth to somebody else that it equates actually living that truth. And God calls us not just to know and teach the truth with our words, but to live it by example. And we see the Apostle Paul highlighting that with his own example. The next thing is that Paul focused, he combated pride by focusing on God's praise and approval versus man's praise and approval. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but but I am not thereby acquitted. That doesn't make me innocent just because I'm not aware of anything specific. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. Now, this is a trap that many of us have fallen into, caring too much about what people think about us, okay? Or even caring too much about what we think about ourselves, where we can become so self-absorbed and so self-focused and get so caught up in the opinions of people that we become paralyzed by fear of man, we become discouraged. We become deflated. Or if we're doing well and people like us, we got praises and palm branches, you know, the same crowd that's saying Hosanna as Jesus comes riding in on a donkey was saying crucify him not too much longer from that, right? And so people can be very flickle. So if we allow the opinion and the praise of people to dominate our lives and inflate us or deflate us, then we're going to fall in the trap of people pleasing. 
And Paul describes his experiences as being so freed up by the gospel of grace that he just, he didn't care about what people thought about him. And I think this was a healthy not caring, a healthy uh, element of not caring. He didn't care. He, he ultimately was trying to please God. He was ultimately living for the praise of God to bring God praise and honor and also to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. And we got to keep our eyes on that. We got to keep our focus on that to combat pride. When we start looking at those around us, those to the left or to the right, and we compare ourselves with each other, we're going to be, we're going to get puffed up when we compare ourselves with somebody who is um, not as advanced as us in an area, or we're going to get discouraged if we compare ourselves with somebody who's further along than us in an area. And so, Paul says in verse 6, he says, I've applied these things to myself and the Apollos for your benefit, brothers, so that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up, puffed up in favor of one another. Okay, so I like this analogy. He uses um, the Greek word means to inflate or to, to puff up. To puff up with pride and with vanity. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up. We start learning some things as a Christian. We're like, mm, I'm pretty smart. I know, I know. And then maybe we start using our gifts and start blessing some people. And we get some, some comments from people and some likes on, on Facebook, right? And, 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 or, or then we get some, then we fail at something. Then we fail at something. Okay. And some of that gets deflated, right? Or, or then we have a, a great success and people just continue to tell us how amazing we are. And like I said last week, like the donkey who was riding, uh, who brought Jesus in on, uh, in, into the city. It, it, just think, think of that donkey getting puffed up by all the hosanna branches and all the praises if the donkey starts thinking man i'm i'm pretty cool the war horses don't get all this i get this right that would be foolish right imagine if we start thinking it's all about us it's all about us and our gifts and what we've done and what we know or what we have or what we've experienced and what we've seen dreams that we've had or sacrifices that we made, we've given to the poor and we've sold all that we have. We just get more and more puffed up. What's going to happen? At some point, this thing's going to break. I don't want to do it. Let me see. I brought something here to help me out. And see, Paul was trying to, to help the, the Corinthian church to be deflated, to allow their human ego to be deflated, okay? To, to let it go down, not to not let that pride puff them up and destroy the relationships because the effects of being puffed up leads to boasting about how amazing we are. Leads to boasting about what we've done. It leads to divisions, it to damage at least to damage in our relationships. Think about how many marriages have ended because of pride and arrogance. You see, pride is unwilling to say, I'm sorry, it's my fault. I was wrong. You see, pride says everyone else is the problem. Pride, pride looks at the failures of others while, while neglecting to see our own failures and our own weaknesses. Pride uh, being puffed up leads to being, having blurred vision. Pride leads to barriers to listen. Pride keeps us from hearing what others have to say. Helpful input, whether it is uh, criticism or, or whether it's praise. Okay, I won't do that again. Sorry if I uh, scared anybody. Thank you. Being puffed up leads to strife and quarrels. Being puffed up leads 
to judgments. And this was the case. This was Paul, this is a theme that Paul addresses within 1 Corinthians because there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of tension. There were a lot of quarrels. There were a lot of division. There was a lot of boasting. And Paul was directing the Corinthian church to boast only in the Lord. He was directing the Christian church to major on the gospel of Jesus Christ, to major on being motivated by love. Tim, Tim Keller, in his book, he has a great little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he says that spiritual pride is the illusion that we are competent to run our own lives, achieve our own sense of self-worth, and find our own purpose big enough to give us meaning in life without God. He says that the human ego is empty, it's painful, it's busy, and it's fragile in his book. It's, it's, it's empty. It's like a balloon that's empty. There's nothing in it. It looks bigger than it really is. Right? Pride tends to, we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Rather than with sober judgment. Pride is painful when we, when our ego, uh, our, when our ego gets popped, when, when there's criticism or when there's failure or when we struggle or something bad happens to us, something difficult in life happens to us, it deflates us. And Keller says if we get deflated, it it's indicates that we were inflated in the first place. Right now, it, it may it may turn out to be uh, that deflation may look like discouragement and self-hatred. Or we may err on the other side in self-love and, and, and self-focus. And it's painful. It's busy. It's always pride and ego is always trying to fill itself. Always trying to get, get something in there to fill it. And it's fragile. Like a balloon is fragile. C.S. Lewis said that pride gets no pleasure in having something, only having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of... We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. And so Paul was combating this. And here's one of my favorite ways that he combats it. And this has been helpful in my life. He combated pride by grasping grace. He combated pride by grasping grace. Verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is powerful. I mean, just think about what he's, the logic here behind this. He's saying everything that you have came as a gift. Your speaking skills, your, your, your intellect, your health, your wealth, whatever you have in life that's going well for you. Why, why should any of us be proud about any of those things? Our experiences? Because they're gifts from God. It's the grace of God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and this is one of my favorite verses, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. You see, Paul's identity was not rooted in his own gifting or his own experiences or, or what people thought about him, whether good or bad. Paul's identity was wrapped up and based upon the grace of God. The saving grace of God in his life. And it had powerful effects. He says, on the contrary, he says, his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Now that might sound like a proud statement. I worked, I worked harder than any of those guys. Now, and it probably would be if he did, if he stopped there. Right? But listen, look, listen to what he said. Though it was not I, but the grace of God. That was with me. You see, Paul understood that the good fruit and the good work that's, that had occurred through his life 
was the grace of God. It came from this abiding relationship with Jesus. As Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. It's, it's Christ who causes the fruit to come forth. We just stay connected, trusting and leaning upon the grace of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, putting our faith in Jesus. And we experience grace and the powerful effects of it. Now, what about humility? John the Baptist has a powerful statement on humility in John chapter 3. And this was as, as his ministry was decreasing. As Jesus' ministry was increasing, John the Baptist knew it wasn't about him. He knew his place, that he was a voice in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord. And he had done his job, and Jesus came on the scene. And it's time for the, 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 the bridegroom, I'm sorry, the, the uh, friends of the bridegroom to get out of the way. Because the bridegroom is here. The groom is here. Right? Imagine if the friends of the bridegroom are like, oh, here she comes. Hey, what's up? No, it's not about the friends of the bridegroom. It's about the groom and his bride, Jesus and the church. And we don't want to get in the way. And, and, and John recognized his place. He humbly accepted it. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. This is the grace of God. This will help keep us humble when we recognize the grace of God in our life, when we recognize everything we have in life as a gift from God's hand. David Mathis in his book, Humbled, says that humility says, you are God and I am not, and I am happy about that. You are God and I am not, and I am happy about that. There's freedom in choosing the way of humility. Because we're not God and you will wear yourself out if you try to be God and you try to do God's part and do what he says he will do on your behalf. Our part is to trust him. Our part is to pour our heart out to him. Our heart is to obey what he's clearly made known to us and not fret all about the unknowns of our future and what we don't know what's going to happen here. Amen. Thank you. Paul also combated pride by accepting hardship. Now, here's a man who went through beating, who went through false accusation, who went through all kinds of struggle. Let's let's read this here. He says, already you have all you want. Now, let me just say this. Paul is using some sanctified sarcasm here in this passage. And I know some of you may feel a little uncomfortable with that. But yes, he is using some sanctified sarcasm with those here because he's combating pride in the Corinthians and he's confronting it not to shame them but to expose the nature of it so he says already you have all you want already you have become rich without us you have become kings would that you would would uh and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you For I think God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world and to the angels and to men. Paul went through some hardships. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise. (laughs) We are weak, but you are strong. We are held in honor, but, but we're in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and we thirst and we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless and labor, working with their own hands. We are reviled and we bless. We are persecuted. We endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have, we have become and still, and are still, and, and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. How would you like that? Paul, Paul says, we're fools for Christ and we become the scum of the world, right? So he's using sanctified sarcasm here in contrast to the Corinthians who thought too highly of themselves and they needed to be deflated. They needed some, a dose of humility and how humbling it is when you're around somebody who's really, really experienced some hardships for the sake of Jesus. 
who's really gone through it for the sake of Jesus. We have nothing to boast about. Here's a man who's being faithful through the hardships. And, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians that because he had lots of insight and revelation, that there was a messenger of Satan given to buffet him to, to help keep him humble, a thorn in the flesh. And he pleaded with the Lord, God, take this away from me three times. And the Lord didn't take it away. The Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect and weakness. And so Paul accepted. He, he combated pride by accepting the hardships in his life as a part of the way, of, as a part of following Jesus. This is the way. There's hardships included. Oh, and, and oh, those hardships are humbling. Being put on display with your weakness. Paul boasted in his weakness. Instead of hiding it, he accepted it and he even boasted in it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm weak. He, he told the Corinthians in chapter two, I came to you with fear and much trembling. I, I came with weakness and fear and much trembling. I love the humility in that, that he's willing to say, I didn't have it all together. I wasn't the best, uh, elo- most eloquent speaker and I wasn't the, the, the most philosophical bringing uh, powerful arguments. I, I came with weakness and fear and much trembling. And I just determined to preach Christ and him crucified. Because his confidence was in the power of the gospel, not in himself, not in his own gifts. The gospel is powerful. It's the power of God and the salvation. It's the power to change lives, to, to break addictions in people's lives and set captives free. And we're committed to proclaiming that message here, to, to heralding the message that Jesus is the Savior and He came to save sinners like you and me. And He suffered and He died upon a cross and a terrible death on that tree. And on the third day, He rose from the dead and He conquered Satan and conquered sin and He paid it all for you and me and He's coming back so that we might live with Him for all eternity. And so we glory in the cross. We boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul said this. God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom I've been crucified to the world and the world to me. You see, he combated pride with the power of the gospel, with the message of the cross. Because the, the, the message of the cross says that we all have a problem that we can't fix ourselves. We can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make ourselves better and make ourselves alive and make ourselves see and make ourselves be who God's called us to be. We need the saving grace of God that was given to us through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And Lord willing, next week we're going to celebrate that with great joy. That our king has conquered. Our king has come. And he has defeated the grave. So Paul combated pride by accepting hardships. Now notice in these uh, in verses 14 through 17, he highlights his authority and calls the Corinthians to imitate him. He says, for I do not write these things to make you ashamed. His goal wasn't to shame them. That's not his strategy here. But he was confronting them. He was, but to admonish or to warn, to warn you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. You see, here's somebody who was living a consistent life. A life that he could say, imitate me. And later on he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And may the Lord help us all get into that place. May we become mature enough and live a life consistent with the gospel that we would be able to say the same things to our children and the same things to any, anyone else that we're mentoring and leading spiritually and say, imitate me. Imitate me. Can you say that right now, church, to, to somebody that you're leading? Imitate me. 
Now, ultimately, Christ is our example, and we're imitating him. And we want people to imitate us as we're imitating Christ. Now, there are many things we don't want others to imitate. Don't imitate pride or anger or impatience or inconsistency. But Paul was able to say that. And Paul says that he became their father. He, he took parental responsibility for the Corinthians. He claimed them. Like maybe in pride he would have been like, I don't know who you guys are. You ain't, you ain't my kids. I didn't lead you to the Lord. I didn't disciple you because I'm. that's not the way. This is the way. It's humility. It's love. It's faithfulness. It's service. It's not boasting. It's not pride. It's not look at me. It's not performance. I mean, I, I love this about Christianity that, and it's different than other religions, and that, that, that God, before any of us perform well and do anything good, we get God's verdict over our life that we're forgiven, we're righteous, we're accepted. We get new status as children of God and the family of God before we do anything honorable. We just simply come and believe and receive what he's done for us. It's grace. And that's what's, that's the contrast between Christianity and world religions. It's not us trying to reach up to God and perform our way to heaven and earn our way to heaven, which we can never do. In Christianity, God came down to us to rescue us, to save us in our sin. Number six, Paul, Paul combated pride by acknowledging God's sovereignty over his plans. I think this is a good one for us. He says in verse 18, he says, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Now he starts to use some, some tough language here. Let me just give you a warning here. Some of you may not like this, but anyways, some, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but if, but I will come to you if the Lord wills and I will find out not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? And so first, let me just highlight how Paul acknowledged the sovereignty of God uh, in, in over his plans. Okay, because one of the one of the ways that we can be arrogant and proud and boast is boasting about our plans tomorrow. And James talks about this, James chapter 4. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And instead you ought to say, like the Apostle Paul says here, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. You see, it's, it's, a, it's a posture of humility that says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I can make plans, but ultimately, I'm in God's hands. And I'm trusting God. God wants us not, not to avoid making plans, especially some of you planners are like, come on now, don't, don't crush my, my planning, right? And those of you who aren't planners and you're more spontaneous, you're like, yeah, if the Lord wills, we'll do that or tomorrow, you know. Um, it's not that he doesn't want us to make plans. It's that he wants us to be humble about our plans and he wants us to plan with him and acknowledge his sovereignty and authority in our lives and accept our limitations that we're not God. We, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know when a 2020 is going to come our way. We don't. I mean, that, that was one of the messages that, that I heard loud and clear from 2020. <laughs> don't boast them out tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Instead, say, if the Lord wills. I mean, I, I remember at the beginning of 2020, I was like, 2020 vision, baby. Like, it's going to be amazing. Amazing year. 20, this is it. And a lot of other preachers were. 2020 vision. I can see it coming, right? Nobody saw that coming. Right? And so we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so we trust God with our future. And lastly, Paul combated pride simply by confronting sin. 
Paul combated pride by confronting sin. I mean, he calls out pride itself. Some, some are arrogant. And he calls out pride a number of times throughout this book. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, he calls out sexual immorality, um, which in a couple of weeks we will, we will cover. I will send out an email to uh, let the parents know ahead of time that we're going to be talking about that. But he confronts sin. He calls it out. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He doesn't act like as if everything's okay. He calls out the sin that the Corinthians were walking in. And that's what we all need. And this is why we need community. Because there's a tendency, and he he says it in in chapter 3, verse 18, let no one be self-deceived. There's there's a tendency to be deceived by ourselves and deceived by sin, and we need community. We need those who love us enough in the body of Christ to just tell us, you're wrong. This is wrong. This sin that you think is okay, I don't know how you've justified it in your mind, but it's clearly going against Scripture. And we need people who love us enough who will speak truth that's going to sting when we hear it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy, right? And so we want to be those here at City Church who speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul was committed to that. He was committed to addressing these issues that needed to be addressed so that the church could truly be healthy and not just be like, oh, everything's okay, Paul, come on, everything's okay. And while there's some major issues that needed to be addressed. So let me, let me close with a couple points of application. First of all, actually, let me, let me just say this. <clears throat> there, there's somebody, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of a humble man who has done a great job He's, he's no longer alive, but he's, when I think of a humble man who combats pride, I think of a man named David George, and some of you know him from City Church International. He was in his 80s, and he passed away last year, and this was a guy who con- consistently confronted pride in his life and consistently displayed humility by being a good listener, by, by being unassuming about others, by being gentle, slow to speak, and quick to listen. And anytime he saw pride or sin in his own life, he was so quick to acknowledge it and say, I'm, I was wrong, or forgive me for this or that. And this was, this was a godly example who, uh, who the Lord brought to my mind that I want to be like when I get in my eighties. I don't, I don't want to be proud and arrogant and nobody can tell me anything because I've been around for some time. I want to be humble and tender and teachable till the day that I die. I want to learn from Jesus who's lowly and gentle in heart. And I want to lead others to do the same. To not let pride divide us and destroy our relationships, hinder our witness, hinder our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. God says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? We want that, don't we? We want, we don't want God's stiff arm. We want God's embrace. We want God's grace that he freely gives. You know, sometimes it's hard, like when you're trying to encourage somebody who's puffed up, and then you just puff them up a little bit more, right? Man, you did a great job. Sometimes it's hard, because like you want to be an encouragement, but you don't want to puff them up, right? And then and then it's, it's hard the other times when someone's very deflated and self-loathing to to bring any any kind of correction when there's just a low view of themselves, so it's like you feel like you can't say anything, any constructive criticism. But the gospel, through the gospel, God wants to free us up from being consumed and self-absorbed, consumed with thinking about ourselves. He wants to free us up to think about God and to think about others. And so let me just close with a couple points of application. Recognize that all that you have in life is a gracious gift from God's hands. Okay? Instead of seeing what you have and what you've done as this is my accomplishment, remember that 
you know, in Deuteronomy 8, God told Israel, remember when you build houses and it's going well for you and you got wealth and stuff, remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to get all that. It's God who's provided. Don't forget the Lord your God. Be content with what you have and avoid comparing yourself to others. If Paul says to the Corinthians, all things are yours and you are Christ. Is that enough to be content with, saints? Is that enough reason to, to, for us not to compare ourselves against one another? If God says, hey, it's all yours. It's like, it'd be like my, my kids in my house. We have two cars. It'd be like my kids arguing about which car is theirs, the van or the, the car. No, the, the van's mine. No, the car's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's dad's. No, it's ours. It's ours. It's the dollar families when ultimately it's God's we're God's right. And so let us be content with what we have and avoid comparing with others. And then lastly, live with the awareness that God sees you. God sees you and he will reward your faithfulness. We want to hear his commendation. We want to hear his well done, good and faithful servant. And not let the opinions of people. Sway us to the left or to the right. If you all would stand with me, I'd like to pray Psalm 131 together. And Kevin is going to lead us into a response song. Bless you. Can we read this and pray this together from Psalm 131? Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. This was the NLT. So, Lord, we do pray that our hearts would not be haughty, our eyes haughty, that we wouldn't concern ourselves with matters too great for us, that we would let you be God and rest in that, that you're God and we're not, and that we would let others be themselves and who you've made them to be and rejoice in who you've made them to be. And encourage who you've made them to be. And may we quit comparing ourselves with one another. With what we have or what we don't have. Help us to rest contently in your arms, God. Because you hold us. We are yours. And you are our God. just reminded of these words from Psalm 16 and just felt like I should share this for somebody here today. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. and May he lift up the light of his countenance on you and give you his peace.